We the people. Four score and I seven. have a dream. Ask what you tear down this wall. Which will live in infamy. Read my lips. Hello and welcome to Civic Symphony. In this episode, we're going to do something a little bit different for Civic Symphony. CBS News recently got some historians together to create a list of what they believe were the top 10 presidents of all time. So we decided here at Civic Symphony to take a look at that list, comment on it, and see how we feel that these historians did in ranking the top 10 presidents. Now, to give you an idea of who did and who didn't make it on the list, there were very few of the modern presidents chosen. For example, Barack Obama didn't make the list. Neither one of the Bushes made the list. Donald Trump didn't make the list. Uh, and some other more modern historians that did not make the list. Now, obviously, there are some other 1800 presidents, such as Franklin Pierce, James K. Polk, who, did also, who also did not make that list. So we're going to go through the top 10, give our comments on them, and give you an opportunity to judge what president should be on that list yourself. So on we go. Number 10 on the list is John F. Kennedy. Now, John F. Kennedy did have a lot of achievements. Uh, economically, he improved the economy, he created NASA. But one of the major reasons that John F. Kennedy made the list was the tone that he brought as president. It was a young, youthful tone. It was something new after the Roosevelt and Eisenhower and Truman administrations. And it was often referred to as, as Camelot. And because of that, he gave a brand new feel to being president. He was also very a very good speech maker, speech writer, as we will hear in this clip. Let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Now, when dealing with Kennedy, historians always have to deal with the what-if factor. Obviously, uh, John F. Kennedy is assassinated in, in November of 1963. Uh, there's a lot of historians that believed he would pull the United States out of the Vietnam War, which, would, uh, which was a war that would linger on and on through the 60s and the early 70s. So uh, most historians look at Kennedy's uh, term as president and then wonder of if he would have been reelected, what would he have gone on to accomplish? Uh, now, that makes it very hard to judge in history. Uh, this will come up later on. I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert with Abraham Lincoln. That Lincoln was very successful in his first term, how he would have handled the South, the, the, uh, the reconstruction of the South, the bringing in the states, how he would have handled that and then gone on to handle both foreign and domestic policies during his second term is something historians have always had to deal with. And the same is true of Lincoln. I'm sorry, the same is true of Kennedy in that there were a lot of ideas Kennedy had and how he would institute those ideas and what kind of civil rights reforms he would have done. And, and again, that all dies in November of 1963 when he is assassinated. Now, here is how Walter Cronkite announced the assassination and the death of uh, John F. Kennedy to the American public. 
From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. So that day of November of 1963 is one of those watershed events in American history. It, it is also a generational event in that most people can tell you where they were when they found out that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. Number nine on the list is Harry Truman. Now, Harry Truman had a very unenviable task in that he had to follow Franklin Delano Roosevelt as president. Roosevelt had been extremely popular, had led the United States through the Great Depression and through success in World War II. And when he dies in office, that the mantle falls onto Harry Truman. Now, Truman had a very early decision to make, and that was a drop in or dropping the atomic bomb, or would he drop the atomic bomb? Uh, most people may not be aware of this, but Truman did not know of the existence of the atomic bomb while vice president. It was something that Roosevelt had not shared with him. So upon taking office, he was told that they had a, a massive weapon that could be used to end the war. Now, obviously, he used the weapon and ended World War II very quickly, but also opened up the Cold War in a Pandora's box of stuff that, that would come after him and obviously linger throughout the 20th century. So that decision was the pivotal decision of the Truman administration. However, Truman goes on to accomplish some great things. He uh, enforces and uses the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe after World War II. He also uh, oversees the creation of NATO and its uh, rise to be prominence in, in the United, I'm sorry, in the world immediately after World War II and lays the foundation for what it becomes today. And he also creates what is known as the Truman Doctrine. Now, the, the Truman Doctrine is the idea that wherever in the world there is communism, that it is the job of the United States to contain communism. And this will lead the United States into Korea and into Vietnam. But it also uh, represents the world presence that the United States will play long after World War II as the superpower of the world. Number eight on the list is one of the founding fathers. He is a Democrat slash Republican. Uh, that's not uh, said incorrectly. Early on, the Democrats slash Republicans were one party and then they separated under Andrew Jackson. But uh, James Monroe uh, is a very successful uh, founding father as president. Now, he is the last of the Virginia dynasty, the first five presidents all coming from Virginia. He will be the last of them. He will also have a connection, obviously, to George Washington. He creates what will be known as the Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine stated that the United States would not tolerate any European influence in North America. And in exchange, the United States agreed to not interfere with any kind of events occurring in Europe. Um, and this, this is a little bit of, of Washingtonian in the fact that his belief was you don't get involved in foreign affairs, which is one of Washington's foundational beliefs, is that the United States needs to worry about what goes on in North America and not involve itself in the, in the affairs of other countries. Now, obviously today you can't do that, but in that time period, the late 1700s to the early 1800s, it was very easy as a nation to not get involved, especially because of the uh, Atlantic and Pacific oceans, which protected the United States. So the Monroe doctrine is created. 
and it will be used uh, for, for a very long time in the United States history. Number seven on the list is an individual that, first of all, I believe could have been placed higher. But secondly, does not get the credit for the role he played in the development of the United States. James Madison, as a president, was very successful, but his pre-presidency role can be argued to be just as important. Now, he is known as the father of the Constitution. He is the one that pushed for the elimination of the Articles of Confederation and for this movement to a Constitution. He is also the individual that went to Washington and basically said, we've got to have you not only the Constitution, but once there, that he felt like Washington needed to be the president. He served as an advisor to Washington early on. So Madison plays a pivotal role early on in history before he ever becomes the president of the United States. He, again, is one of the founding fathers, part of the Virginia dynasty. While as president, he is going to go on to serve during or be president during the War of 1812, a war which basically proved that the United States could stand on the stage with Great Britain, with other foreign powers. Again, uh, to a lot of uh, people in the in Great Britain, that the the 1776 the revolution had almost been just a kind of a lucky occurrence that the United States really wasn't uh, ready to be on the world stage, and the War of 1812 proved that that was not true. Finally, uh, a point that's missed sometimes in history is that he is going to create the second bank of the United States, which is going to provide some financial stability. So. Again, Madison, uh, at least in my opinion, needs to probably be moved up some because of the role that he played across the development of the United States and not just during his presidency because a lot of the actions that he took will go on to establish the presidency and then obviously he will serve in that capacity. Dwight D. Ike Eisenhower comes in at number six on their list. Um, Now, Eisenhower is one of the presidents that takes military success and moves it over to win the presidency of the United States. And then uh, U.S. Grant was another general that did this. Obviously, George Washington was a a general that did this. Eisenhower was successful in several ways. Uh, First of all, he is the president that establishes the interstate highway system um, before Eisenhower uh, the getting across the United States was a monumental task, and he decides that needs to be fixed. So he creates an interstate highway system. He's also the president that gets the United States involved in the space race. And this is this is something Kennedy will pick up on. But Eisenhower understood the 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 fact that they were competing against the Soviet Union and the United States had to have success in in the space race, uh, at least to give the impression that democracy was just as successful as as communism. Now, the Soviets do put the first man in space in Yuri Gagarin, but eventually the United States will overtake them and reach the moon first, which is kind of the culminating event of the space race. But, But that race began under Dwight D. Eisenhower. Eisenhower is also the president when the Korean War is occurring, obviously formal general, took great interest in the Korean War, 
Um, and this is part of that Truman doctrine that wherever there is communism in the world, the United States will work to contain it, if not defeat it. So he pushed a lot for success in Korea. Um, and, and a lot of people believe that that was the general part of Eisenhower coming out. And, and finally, Eisenhower creates another doctrine, which is known as the Eisenhower Doctrine. And the, the doctrine basically states that wherever there are friendly countries in the Middle East that are unstable, the United States will help support those countries. And again, this is a direct reflection back to the policy against communism, the fight against communism in the world during that time period of the 50s and 60s and obviously up to the 80s until Ronald Reagan uh, basically uh, oversees the collapse of the Soviet Union. Now, uh, interestingly, one of the things that President Eisenhower is known for is a commercial that was created when he was running for president. Again, he was known as Ike. And so this, this commercial was created for his campaign that has gone down in history as one of the most successful presidential commercials ever created. So uh, we go to break. Uh, we're going to listen to that commercial. And when we come back, we're going to delve into the top five presidents, according to CBS News. We'll be right back. Ike for president, Ike for president, Ike for president, you like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. Hang out the banner and beat the drum, we'll take Ike to Washington. We don't want John or, or Harry, let's do that big job right. Just get in step with the guy that's up, get in step with Ike. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. Hang out the banner and beat the drum, we'll take Ike to Washington. So on to the top five. And then number five, we find another founding father in Thomas Jefferson. Now, obviously, Jefferson played a major role uh, in the early United States. He's the author of the Declaration of Independence, and he will advise both Adams and Washington. However, Jefferson, as a president, makes his big decision when it comes to the Louisiana Purchase. Now, Jefferson had a choice to make and ironically was not sure that he could actually complete and do the Louisiana Purchase. He was not sure of the constitutionality of it. Uh, interestingly enough, Jefferson was not there when the U.S. Constitution was written. He was over in France, was not overwhelmingly impressed with the Constitution. Uh, and again, when it was time to, to decide about the Louisiana Purchase, it was not a debate of whether or not it was a good deal. But in Jefferson's mind, could a president constitutionally buy the land, make a deal with France? Now, luckily for us and for all of U.S. history, um, he is eventually convinced that it is something he could do. And because of that decision, the United States gains a great amount of land 
and will eventually become or uh, will go on to conquer the United States as we know it today. So Jefferson's role was cemented at that point. He was not a big fan of the tone that Washington and Adams set for the president. He felt like that Washington and Adams both acted too much like royalty. And so when he comes along, Jefferson tries to create a, a new identity uh, as president of the United States. He is also one of the part of the Virginia dynasty. He's the third of the five. And he, again, is respected uh, before presidency and after presidency. And a lot of historians have trouble because he's one of those people that, again, his pre-presidency was so important that you you got to be careful not to let that influence your decision-making on his time as president. Number four on the list is Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. And he is also one of those people that uh, tries to set a new tone as president. Now, he's obviously president early in the 1900s. Um, he is a rough and burly guy, as they used to say. He uh, uh, was on San Juan Hill, a military hero. And he brings a lot of that to his time as president. Uh, he was actually shot giving a speech and finished the speech even after uh, the incident occurred. So he, he, he brought that image to the role of president. He takes over as, after President McKinley is shot and goes on to achieve some really great things. Uh, you can thank him for all of the national parks in the United States. He felt like that the environment, the, the outside... Uh, nature world was very important. And so he establishes a lot of national parks. And a lot of people, interestingly enough, will tell you he saved football. He is the, the president that went in and helped them create the new rules, specifically the forward pass for football and, and saved it from it becoming a, a sport that was no longer played. Now, this rah-rah spirit that Roosevelt had for football was a reflection of his spirit he had for Americans. He truly believed that Americans would carry the torch of liberty, that it was part of their DNA to achieve greatness. And he constantly reminded American citizens of that, that they had greatness in them and that they were the beacon, the light to the world when it came to liberty. And here's one of his speeches that he gave concerning this. And we apologize ahead of time. Uh, for the sound quality, but this speech was given in 1912, so sound quality was not great back then. The great fundamental issue now before our people can be stated It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. My opponents do not. I believe in the right of the people to rule. Now, number three on their list, some people will argue, is number one. Abraham Lincoln was one of the most important and profound presidents that we have ever had. But a lot of historians will tell you that he had to be, that it wasn't a choice. If he is not president during the Civil War, we are no longer a country, and therefore he had to be great. And he showed his greatness, uh, first of all, by refusing to allow the southern states to leave. And then secondly, that when given the chance, ending slavery and then not only ending slavery, but going on to push forward rights for the slaves, such as to become citizens and to give the right to vote. 
He is also important because of the example that he would set. And it, it's kind of interesting uh, that he is that next example. You go from Washington and those early Virginia uh, presidents, and then you're going to end up into Lincoln. Lincoln at the time was not considered to be the great president that he will be as, as t history uh, pulls back away from him. Um, which is true of a lot of presidents, with, with the exception of Washington, which we'll get to later. Um, most presidents in their day, it, there had to be a time that once they had quit being president, that people began to look back and went, wow, what, what did they do and how great it was. The other thing about Lincoln is the tone that he set. Uh, he, he was very presidential, even though he was considered a, quote, Western president coming out of Illinois. He was considered very presidential in his tone. And again, we talked about this earlier with, with Lincoln. It's always the what if factor. What if he had gotten to serve out his second term? What would the United States have looked like under a President Lincoln? And again, he may have gotten a third term uh, or who knows how many terms because there was no limit back then. Um, but but his role will always be uh, there's question mark to it about what would have been. Um, and, and again, the ideas that he had were not instituted by Andrew Johnson, which uh, gives him a very bad name as a president. Now, obviously, there was one speech that Lincoln is known for. It is a speech that was required by teachers for school children to, to know. It is the Gettysburg Address. Um, a little quick historical context to the Gettysburg Address Lincoln was not originally scheduled to be at, at the, the, the uh, dedication of the cemetery at Gettysburg. Um, someone at the last moment basically said, hey, maybe the president should come down and say a couple words. Um, the speech at the time was not that well received in some uh, places. The, the uh, Chicago Tribune said it was dishwater utterances of, of a, a person that had to be pointed out to be president of the United States. And yet again, it's like everything else. Once you step back from that speech and you realize the greatness of that speech and the summation of that speech, it is not a very long speech. And yet what he summed up, what he talked about, is still to this day seen in history as one of the greatest uh, discussions of liberty, of what the country was fighting for, what it meant, all that in a speech. And, and again, he was not even supposed to be here so or be there. So let's listen to the beginning of that speech. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. So number two on the list. This is how you know you're good. 
when they have to go in and rewrite the Constitution for you as president, that's when you know you're doing good. Franklin Delano Roosevelt served or was elected four times. And then after he had uh, finished as president, they went in and rewrote the Constitution so no one would ever be elected again four times. Is considered a great president. Again, if you want to argue he was number one, then there is a case to be made there. Obviously led the United States through the Great Depression, uh, bolstered the spirit of the nation, then went on to lead the United States through World War II, did not get to see the actual end of it, but his policies, his attitude toward foreign policy and his handling of Hitler, his use of the troops, all of that distinguishes him in United States history. And he is another president, kind of like Lincoln, that he had to be great. It, it was one of those pivotal times in American history where you had to have a president, again, that that was the leader that gave uh, people hope, not again, in the Great Depression and coming out of the Great Depression, that worked toward an end. And then toward the, toward the end of the Depression, obviously, World War II starts, and he has to be one of the leaders of not just the United States, but the world in terms of how to handle Hitler um, and how to galvanize American spirit, American know-how, American productivity. And so if you want to make an argument that he is number one, a case can truly be made for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Now we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the worst president and then who these historians say was the best president. And if you've ever listened to this podcast, you know ahead of time who that's going to be. We'll be back. So that was President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressing Congress uh, during his first inauguration speech, uh, one of the most famous speeches in the history of the United States. Before we get to who is number one on the list, let's talk about who is considered probably the worst president of all time, and that would be Andrew Johnson. Now, to be fair to Johnson, his first problem was he was following Abraham Lincoln, which is never the best place to be. <laughs> if you're going to follow Lincoln, you better be really good at doing it. Um, his policies were a disaster. Politically, he ended up being a quagmire. And then, and then obviously the first president to be impeached. So most historians would put him at the bottom. Um, th there's a couple other presidents that maybe you put below him. But, but again, historically, most presidents or most historians look at Andrew Johnson and go, okay, he's, he's the worst. Now, for the best. And if you've ever listened to this podcast, th this is something that we talk about all the time. Obviously, it's George Washington. And what, and set aside the policies, his idea of no European entanglement, 
um, his idea that we have got to pay off debt. Just, just set all that aside and, and talk about what initially makes him the best ever, and that's tone. And again, you have to go to historical context. He is taking a position that has never been held in the history of the world. <laughs> there has never been a president that has been elected by the people. And so there really isn't any kind of guidance. He could look to Europe to how kings behave, but he wasn't a king. So a lot of times Washington had to be the tone setter for not just his administration, but for the rest of the history of the United States. And, and he does that. He gets it, that the moment's big, but it's not too big for him. The people loved him. But, but the fact that today that his picture hangs in the Oval Office, when you go to sit behind that desk, that's who's staring at you. That's the benchmark. It's not Lincoln, and, and it's not Roosevelt, and, and they did great jobs. But the benchmark is George Washington. He dominated the political landscape. When he walked in a room, everybody knew it was George Washington. Again, he set the, the tone for what it meant to be president. The reason that you call him Mr. President, the reason that you stand when he comes in the room as a sign of respect, that, that's all Washington. And the fact that he was such a great leader. And, and just kind of put this in your mind. He, he's not unanimously elected once, but he's elected unanimously twice, which means in the first four years, he didn't do anything <laughs> to make people not want to put him back in office. And most historians tell you he'd have been elected a third time and a fourth time and as long as he wanted to go. Um, and, and so he is the benchmark that, that when you get to all the other presidents, Basically, you can say here, we're going to set him aside and then we'll rank the other 45 because that's his role in history. The Capitol's name for him. And if you go in the Capitol Rotunda and look up, which most people don't do, but if you look up on the ceiling, you will see a picture of George Washington descending from heaven. And probably more than anything else, that will tell you the respect and the love they had for the man. For strange laws in this episode, we're going to head to the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And the law states that you're not allowed to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. Now, the reason for the law has to do with horse thieves. And so you need to look at the time period, the era in which it was passed, which is early on in the development of Kentucky. And that horse thieves would put an ice cream cone in their pocket and then lead the horse away from wherever it was in order to steal it. So obviously this law does not have a lot of impact anymore or a lot of reasoning anymore, but they've simply never taken it off the books. So if you're in Kentucky in an ice cream parlor, make sure you don't put the ice cream cone in your pocket. that's going to wrap up this episode of Civic Symphony. We would love to hear from you concerning the list, who else should have been on it, where they should have been placed, what you agree with and don't agree with, the way in which the historians ranked it for CBS News. If you have a question, send it and we'll do our best to answer it. It's civicsymphony at gmail.com. We always need to thank freesound.com for the music. Hopefully you learned a little bit more about the presidents and their role in history. 
As we always say, democracy only works when your voice is heard. So make sure it is. Thanks for listening.